Yeah, I I think everything you've kind of covered there's like so important, and it's it's discussing almost the power that words have, because a lot of the time these people are still the same people, whether mm. they've got you know this label on their forehead or not, they're still the exact same person. And I think a lot of the time, it's sort of the recruitment process and things like that, they'll recruit an individual, and then when they happen to find out they've got a certain, for example, a personality disorder or some of the more stigmatized um, mental health um, issues, they'll then almost backtrack and think, oh, hold on, we need to put some 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 things in place for you. And it's like, well, this is the same person that you interviewed, the same person you accepted for the job. And it, it, this mental health illness or condition or however you want to describe it, yes, it, it may mean that they have certain difficulties with other things, but it, it also, you know, makes them who they are. Um, for some people, especially um, who I use language to identify themselves, and I think if we kind of relate that to some sort of a lot of the change in diagnoses that have happened and terminology changes over the years, and how for some individuals living through those changes to terminology and being labelled as one thing and then another, whether that's like you say a change in diagnosis between schizophrenia to personality disorder or something like that or whether it's um, official changes to the same diagnosis so for example in uh, the DSM which is a sort of diagnostic um, manual um, it was it used to be kind of autism and Asperger's and those were the two sort of I think there was another one as well that you could be diagnosed with but th those were the categories and then it got changed to a spectrum and it's now autism spectrum disorder um and almost that power of language and change and how that can impact people and how other people view people and I know um I've spoken to some a friend who has um was previously diagnosed with Asperger's and then with removing the Asperger's label um which was quite commonly known um, Asperger's is quite commonly known, I think, in society as being almost labelled as high-functioning autism. Um, but again, that whole high versus low-functioning has issues within itself um, because of, of what it implies to sort of low-functioning, I guess. But So then the removal of that, that identity and how then going from almost being having a singular diagnosis in of itself to then being placed along a spectrum can be really... Um, discomfort like uncomfortable for some people because they've almost got to a point in their life where they've figured out they've come to terms with their diagnosis they've come to terms with who they are they've come to terms with their own identity and then although that identity hasn't changed the term used to refer to it has and that I think kind of for a lot of people especially individuals who are you know neurodiverse or have difficulty understanding things anyway um, or difficulty with change and things like that it can be you know, it can be really, really difficult. But then also, I guess you could argue that having a spectrum con condition um, is a lot better in terms of being able to place people along the spectrum and have that lack of high versus low functioning and things like that. But yeah, just the power of language it is so, so influential, even though in the grand scheme of things, the individual remains the same, regardless of what label is put on their head. I would say as well, on top of the power of language, I think some of it is also about what is um, fashionable or what's 
what becomes socially acceptable and what's not socially acceptable. So just going back, I suppose, for, you know, not that many years ago from our own age group, but it seemed, you know, we had things where, um, it, I suppose, women in particular, that if they had a baby out of wedlock, they were seen as deviant in some way, that, you know, there's something wrong with them. And the same as, you know, not, I think, I can't remember if it's DSM-3, not that many years ago, that, you know, if you were gay, you were seen as having some sort of mental health problem or disorder. So these are things that weren't particularly acceptable. And I think sometimes we can have the DSM and the diagnosis reflecting what seems to be what society is, you know, in society is fashionable or acceptable or not acceptable. And from my own experience with combining therapy and social work, sometimes what can also happen is some of these changes can also lead to the people, you know, where they might need labels, determining whether they can have help or not, but equally determining whether they can have benefits or or money. You know, I'm thinking in particular... And it's moving off a little bit from autism, but attention deficit hyperactive disorder. There seems to be far more young people attracting that label, but also with it comes, um, you know, a route to getting benefits or more money for it. So I think sometimes these things can go hand in hand when people are perhaps experiencing or families are experiencing poverty or desperate times. Um, sometimes, you know. It's how that might feed into other aspects of society that makes people want to have the diagnosis. But it might not always be helpful for the diagnosis when it comes to um, the way we live in society generally, of the acceptability of it to, to the wider society. And I guess that sort of uh, begs the question, isn't it, as to do we always need... Um, a specific diagnosis but also whether those problems um that come associated with it whether they are the things to be tackled rather than their diagnosis system I guess it depends on what viewpoint you take because on one hand you could say well if we manage to sort of break through a lot of this stigma and have it so that everyone understands that terminology is there to support an individual then would that mean that people would be more willing to accept them would they feel less labeled and more supported or on the other hand, you could still say that people might say, well, I'm, I'm more than my diagnosis and I still feel by being given a certain label, it's putting me in a box that I don't want to be in and I'd rather have people manage, help me manage my symptoms. I guess it depends on how um, mm. each person functions, I guess, in a way. Yeah, and I'd say from that, from my, you know, I remember doing a lot of sort of training around, because um, often I think particularly with the uh, label of schizophrenia, people would refer to someone um, I used to hate that terminology, all oh, their schizophrenic. And, it, and I think there, that you know, it was like ultimate language. Now, that's a person who's got a mental health problem. It's a person who has um, got what, you know, uh, what we would class as schizophrenia. There's a difference. Because my view is we don't refer to someone, oh, there's a, there's a diabetes person. We say that's a person who's got a physical health problem with diabetes. And I almost wonder if, again, some of the language around disorder, I think the word disorder may well have some emotive meanings for people of, do we really want to think of ourselves as disordered? Does anybody want to think of themselves as disordered? And whether that 
is a barrier in some areas. Um, do people want to see their children or family members or friends as, you know, someone with depressive disorder? You know, some people have switched language to refer to it as low mood. Is low mood a bit more acceptable to people? Um, and is anxiety, you know, if that's what people are experiencing, is it anxiety and, and fear? Is that more acceptable than saying you've got an anxiety disorder, which might then lead on to obsessive compulsive disorder or other things that the wording of disorder might be something that you know when people think about it they think do I want to be classed as disordered what does that actually mean and it is isn't it all about what does that mean and what's that mean to that person and I guess uh, from it what at least how I stand I feel there's definite benefits definite uh, disadvantages it's almost trying to find well where do we want to move going forward with this and I think the disorder drop the disorder movement I think I'm a big fan of that because I think in terms of the language that probably doesn't play into things well mm. uh, and also I guess into rewording of things if there's ways of I know I, I think personality disorder seems to be where a lot of stuff <laughs> kicks off a bit more mm. I guess as it is because it's very much saying uh, word word this is your personality uh, and I know they might be maybe somewhat useful descriptors um, for people who are working with you uh, therapeutically uh, but equally if maybe one of them is let's say narcissistic personality disorder um, or one of them being emotionally unstable personality disorder um, it very much it quickly leads in doesn't it to sort of a very somewhat negative sounding uh diagnosis compared to maybe not that I'm saying depression is a particularly positive diagnosis but I guess people sort of understand depression and in terms of the 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 being depressed that sort of that feeling and I guess the associations around that rather than thinking this person I wonder if it sound different if it then became depressed personality disorder does that have different bells ringing to it um mm -hmm. if it's a, you're a depressed personality disorder is it saying that 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 suddenly that's your personality does that have a bit more of an overwhelming effect on how people might interpret it. And I think that's another uh, interesting point it raises. It's we all come with our bias and prejudice and it's how one person interpret, interprets language that might be different to how somebody else interprets it. But then I think there are certain, um, you know, mental health conditions that for whatever reason it you know come with far more stigma than others um i think i remember there was a bit of a trend as in my days of social work with people because it seems more fashionable a lot of these celebrities seem to be being diagnosed with bipolar disorder rather than um, schizophrenia and there was a big movement on many people who were, they wanted their diagnosis changed from schizophrenia to bipolar because that sounded like that was more acceptable somehow because celebrities were saying, oh, yeah, I've got this. Um, so, again, I think it's the, you know, depending on who we, who we perceive might have similarities in difficulty with their mental health. If they, you know, people see it as well, or oh, these people who seem to be, you know, celebrities and done well for themselves or whatever it is, if they're saying they've got these particular mental health problems, maybe that's something we could accept in our community or culture a bit more than we could something else. 
And also, I think there's lots of crossovers. I've also um, found that there did seem to be, you know, um, looking at records of people, um, particularly during my days of um, AMP duty, when I was going out on mental health assessments, and people would have, the, the diagnosis would shift. They might have started off having uh, bipolar and then it's gone to schizophrenia, then it's gone to personality disorder, or it could be a bit the other way around. Um, so I think there's also something that, even doctors using the, the DSM or the ICD-10, that they won't, they can't always have this clarity of providing the same diagnosis for people. So again, that comes back to well, what does that mean and what is the purpose of it and how beneficial is that? Because it might be in medicine that maybe there are certain drugs that are licensed for certain conditions, but if your diagnosis is fluctuating all the time, um, that also becomes a bit of a problem because you might have then been been taking a particular medication for a period of years because that perhaps connects with a particular diagnosis and then that changes. It, I think that's possibly where some of the doctor's disorder movement are coming from. Of well, We've been given this medication for many years that probably had an adverse effect on us. Um, you know, There may well be some people who found that it has been beneficial, but there's certainly a group of people you've equally found it was not beneficial for them at all. And the medication linked to the diagnosis is what's become the harmful part for them. And I think you've raised um, some of the good points there, I guess, as well as how it then, I guess, what, what it means in reality when you, because words only have as much power as we give them in a way. Um, and if we're allowing them to tie into, I guess, the treatment that an individual can access, like you said, does that, have its other knock-on effects that we're maybe not considering. I think um, uh, you gave an example earlier of someone who went from a diagnosis of diagnosis rather individual this time of uh, schizophrenia to one of uh, EUPD, and um, and it makes me think because, uh, like has been mentioned earlier, with schizophrenia, that's maybe something that is uh, recognised as being offered uh, medication-based treatment for some of it to help reduce the more sort of psychotic features. It's psychotic being another stigmatised word, but here I'm meaning sort of maybe any hallucinations or delusions that a person may experience. Um, whereas for something like EUPD, like you said, it's sort of more behavioural based. Uh, and as a result, it's not sort of seen as something that can be treated medically. And it makes me wonder if this person had been diagnosed as schizophrenic one day and maybe they were on um, an antipsychotic uh, in order to help them manage that. Uh, if their diagnosis is then shifted, um, what would the process be? And I mean, one would assume that that they would be continued to be on that, but then does it sort of undermine why they were put on the medication in the first place? So if they're saying, well, we think you're schizophrenic and then it turns out that shifting that label I mean I guess if you're given a secondary diagnosis it's a different thing but if that label sort of taken away and you're given a different one uh, does it sort of say well actually no we've made a mistake here you shouldn't have been given any medication and I guess it draws in some other issues there of how far do people feel they can then trust what treatment they can receive or as to how effective it's been and um, if you've had that label for four or five years and then it's changed quite radically like that not even in terms of sort of the wording like we've said earlier um, Asperger's to autism spectrum condition but if the sort of the fundamental diagnosis and um, condition changes uh, does 
should that affect treatment? Does that, will that have a greater effect? Will that suddenly have negative effects if you are told that maybe your prescription to this antipsychotic then then stops and that was helpful or is it a placebo effect? I guess it throws all these extra questions into the air. Definitely, and I, I think it's, um, you know, this thing, uh, I suppose it's, uh, from the psychological perspective, I think it's looking at more actually, do you know, people's problems can't just be solved from uh, a pill. I'm trying to think of what her name was from America now, mine's gone blank. Um, and she was somebody who had schizophrenia, this is going back a few years back, and she did lots of publications and writings and she spoke about how when she was given the label of schizophrenia and, um, you know, she really struggled with being in the psychiatric system. And she decided uh, during her, you know, when she was ill and that, that she was going to actually uh, she was do something about that. It really affected her so badly that she said, um, you know, she remembers she got this idea. She thought, you know, I'm going to become a doctor and I'm going to change some of the awful things that go on in um, the psychiatric system when it comes to treating people who have conditions with uh, such as schizophrenia and she said you know like the the doctor came around and she said you know remember this doctor saying you know and what's your goal and you know she just has a bit of a giggle saying well of course my goal was that I was going to get out of the hospital and I'm going to do whatever it took to become a doctor in um, mental you know a psychiatrist doctor in mental health and she said, of course, she couldn't say that to them because they'd already judged and decided that someone with her condition would not be able to do that profession. And she said, you know, it's interesting if she just said that that's what she wanted to do, as she called it, they would have upped her haloperidol at the time of seeing her as someone with ideas of uh, grandeur and delusion. Um, but she was determined that she was going to do that. And she did. And she was successful in showing actually there is more to life than you know just taking pills and she said she didn't want to become someone who was a good pill swallower and that was not her you know road to living and she says you know she makes a claim for while you know medicine has its place it, people need to be thinking outside the box a bit more of uh, moving away from these judgments and again you know not not just jumping to conclusions that when someone says that's what they want to do in life somebody else judging that as well you're just being grandiose that's not going to happen to you because you've had a you know what we call a major mental um illness problem and that's where i think stigma and judgment start to emerge from back to that i hate to say because i'm part of that profession as well mental health professionals you know if, if they are judging people in that way then of course that's going to impact people in their journey to recovery and I think it's important that we start to notice that much more of the language and things that we say to people of, of whether we're enablers to people recoverers, to people recovering rather, or whether we're doing things through language or other mechanisms that are hindering people to live, um, you know, lives in whatever they're recovering their journey is that's relevant for them. And Again, not that uh, we sort of want to, I don't know, not to shift any blame or to put any blame towards mental health professionals, because we do love how dedicated they are at their work. And like, there are some amazing people out there. But like you said, it is 
almost a bit of a dangerous avenue to go down, I guess, in terms of how this stigma can be so embedded, I guess, into people's subconscious that it can affect judgments like that. Uh, and it makes me think, because I'm currently working in a role, um, a sort of a recovery support worker, and um, for people that I've worked with, there's one who has sort of grandiose delusions about how successful that they might be um, in terms of like their creative abilities. Um, and I know there's sort of been this discussion time and time again with the staff team about where do we draw the line as to what is realistic and what is sort of an aspiration uh, and what is then a grandiose delusion because like you said it becomes a very interesting discussion there because are we then saying that people aren't allowed to sort of dream and aspire as high because of their mental health condition and it's almost that issue is can we end up over medicalizing a person and their their hopes and dreams and wishes and feelings a bit too much so in a way that isn't actually very helpful in supporting them. I just remember the person's name that I was um, trying to draw from, which was uh, Patricia Deegan, and um, her surname spelled D E E G A N. So, for anyone who's uh, interested in that, she's um, trying to be a psychologist and researcher, not a psychiatrist. But she's very much a disability rights advocate from her own experience and um, determined to try and do her bit to overcome some of these barriers um, that she experienced when she was a teenager diagnosed with schizophrenia herself. So I find her um, work was quite inspirational in my early years of training in, as a social worker in particular because it really got home to me of actually we need to be mindful of uh, not blocking people's opportunities and careers because of labels of mental illness uh, and trying to you know overcome that but everyone can get ill from time to time people have different experiences what we need to be looking at is how we support people in their recovery and not judge them into putting them into a box that somehow they're worth less somehow to society just because they've got this label, um, which of course is a false belief in, in my view. And I think I guess that links on uh, quite helpfully um, to this great um, summative question I've tried to pose, uh, which is sort of how helpful is language and terminology in sort of the field of mental health? How helpful can it be overall? Um, is it something that we need to be more acutely aware of? I think definitely yes, but sort of if if we are going to be thinking about some of these issues, how, how do we go about changing them? But yes, to link it back, I thought I'd ask uh, the two of you here, Madge and Bri, uh, what are your thoughts on how helpful is language and terminology in mental health? I'd, I'd say, sorry, go ahead, Bri. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I think I was just going to say it. it it's very important in terms of how it impacts people because language and term terminology as I've said before like it has so much power and everything we've discussed today kind of reinforces that um, but I also think it's very individual as to to what terminology and what language fits um, and also it's it's very based on society I know I know Madge has mentioned a lot about sort of the influence of society and cultures on what is um, the result of a certain word or a certain terminology. So I think it's it's really important in shaping, you know, an individual's response and society's response, but also 
language and terminology can stay the same but the responses to that can differ and then things such as stigma and that could be reduced so it's it's a really interesting one because it, it's a bit of a gray area i suppose in terms of drawing a you know a, a line of what is good and what is bad um but it's definitely very important in you know diagnoses and things like that um i think more needs to be done societally um and obviously within mental health professions especially for certain diagnoses um from some of the anecdotes Madge just shared with us um but yeah it's definitely very important and i would say it's um also thinking you know particularly i think when it comes to things like the anxiety disorders so many things in, in my experience as professionals you know trying to put people into pigeonholes of have they got you know uh, generalized anxiety have they got ocd have they got panic disorder um have they got agoraphobia you know, all of these things and from, yeah, from my own experience is that people's you know or what they report as symptoms or their experiences tends to fluctuate and they can be moving in and out of all sorts of um, responses in the body that give some particular types of, you know, when you use the word symptoms and sometimes trying to get people to fit into specific frameworks isn't always helpful um, because some of those, even though some of those labels can also have meanings when it comes to how other people might respond or view them. So, you know, I've found sometimes where, you know, people might describe having something called agoraphobia where they've got either a fear of being outdoors or a fear of being in contained um, places. So an example might be getting in a lift. Um, then it's sometimes how they might be judged by that if they, you know, need to get in a lift because they work on the fifth or sixth floor or of a, a building or something like that. It's other people start to, from what they showed me, make side comments about, you know, the fact that that might be impacting time-wise or otherwise for them to get to where they need to be or, you know, if there's jobs to be done that involve going up and down floors. Things like that can cause difficulties, but for whatever reason, they then find that people want to make negative comments about things that they're having difficulty with and I think a change needs to be of actually do you know everyone's different and how can we uh, help someone in a kind and caring way to kind of go do you know actually that is something that they've got a difficulty with but they've got some great skills in other aspects of what they do let's focus on what they can do that's great rather than tempted to focus on what someone can't do and see it as not or see them as not so great in some adverse way But I think it comes back to the, the labelling. I think because labelling of diagnosis seems to open up doors for people, that unless something's going to alter on that way where you know people have the freedom to decide for themselves, is this emotional distress and I don't want to have a specific label, but I can access psychological support if that's what I need without having to go through hurdles then that might work for quite a number of people. But at the moment, everything's very, um, I suppose, managed on resource constraints. People have to meet certain thresholds and criteria to access certain 
types of um, psychological interventions or other types of treatments that that becomes the challenge when people some people might be quite okay to do that um, and quite comfortable to do that and other people they might not be okay or comfortable to do that and sometimes I think there are people that we're not reaching who you know we, we hear about particularly you know young males especially on the suicide we don't really know always what's happened that they haven't reached out for help but sadly they haven't and whether that's because they don't want to be stigmatized with the label or whether that's because they don't feel they can talk to people around them or whether that's because they don't even recognize themselves what the difficulties are there are a lot of unanswered questions there which is um sad that we, we can't find those answers because they've taken their own lives but i think it's just being aware of different people have different levels of needs and not one fine and one size doesn't fit everyone one size does not fit everyone and i think you've done really well there to help hammer home the key point i guess which is that language is definitely a big thing to be considered and we in no way want to dismiss it but i guess it's sort of looking past that as to what is the language actually referring and to that that's the people behind it and people are different uh, and you can get to know a hundred people and find that the 101st person is completely different in every way it's trying to make it so that we're sort of not working just on these preconceptions and just based around I guess what language says like I think you mentioned earlier how we've had some outdated uh, cultural viewpoints incorporated into diagnostic manuals but actually if we sort of taken away from that and maybe using language as guides and language as a helpful factor uh, within mental health uh, rather than have it as the be all or end all but I'm very aware that we could go on talking all day and I know that you're very precious um, uh, your time is very precious to you. Sorry, if I could speak, that would also help. Your time is very precious to you and you've been an amazing guest to have on board, Madge, but I don't want to keep you because I know how busy you are with all your commitments. Uh, so I'd just like to wrap up and say, if uh, anyone who's listened to enjoyed today's podcast and did want to know more, please feel free to contact the Young Advisors uh, through our social media channels. Our Twitter handle being at uh, all caps, C-Y-P-A-I-A-P-T. Um, lower ca- lower case if I could speak mid uh, uppercase y a lowercase s and Instagram being at midlands underscore y a or the website being www.associatedevelopmentsolutions.com forward slash the hyphen midlands hyphen young hyphen advisors managed to get through all of that <laughs> with only a couple of fumbles so I'd like to thank everyone for listening. But before we sign off, I don't know if there was a final sort of uh, thought, a final bit of advice, just a quick word of wisdom that you might have for anyone listening to take forward, Madge. Yeah, I think anyone listening, notice the people who are around you. Notice if they look a bit lost or a bit lonely or, you know, something, just a hunch or something you're not sure about and reach out to them and just speak to them. Uh, say anything don't necessarily have to say you know have you got a mental health problem? but just say are you okay and if they say like the typical British comment yeah I'm fine just go one step forward and go are you really fine you look a little bit I don't know lost or something I'm not quite sure what because you're reaching out and giving them an opportunity to speak about something that they might be having difficulty with and 
the connection with another human being when you're feeling um, distressed in some way is really significantly important. So that would be my one thing. If you can just start to spot a bit more of those people who look a little bit lost or not engaging somehow, even if they turn around and say, mind your own business, it's better that you've done that because you might find at some point you'll be reaching out to the person who really needs your help at that time. And that would be amazing. That's a really lovely, positive note to end on there. And I guess flipping it from language to communication. Uh, but yes, uh, if you'd like to sign off, Madge and Bri. Bye. Bye, everyone. Uh, and I'm Ollie. I've been your host for today and I'd like to thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>